Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. All right, my name is Josh DeCook, as Jeremy said. Uh, my wife Heidi and I have been married for, oh gosh, 11 years now, right? Yeah, 11. Um, September will be 12, so loving marriage, very much so. And as all of you married people know, it's hard at times, but it's good. We also have two lovely children. Um, Rael is nine, she's back in Kids, Connection, or Kids Church, and Zeke is six, and he's back there as well. So a quick history lesson about my family of origin. I'm actually the youngest of three brothers. My oldest brother, John, is 11 years older than I am. My next brother is Brent. He's seven years older than I am. And then I came along later as a surprise, for lack of a better word, right? Um, When I started sixth grade, I had actually moved from Bismarck to Northwest Iowa. Anybody else from Northwest Iowa in here? Perfect. You're going to really understand what I'm talking about when we get to the point of the sermon this morning. Living in Northwest Iowa with my parents was fun. I got to experience the single, you know, the only child thing. Um, Brent actually stayed in Bismarck because he just graduated high school, so he was going to college. And then John was attending Valley City State University in Valley City, North Dakota. Um, Eventually, John and Brent both found themselves back together in Minneapolis, living together, which was also an interesting adventure for the two of them. Um, And then Brent and his wife Amy got married and moved back to Bismarck. Heidi and I then got married in Sioux Center, Iowa. We lived in Orange City for about two months. Then we moved back to Bismarck, where we got to spend some time with Brent and Amy there. Um, that's actually where Rael was born. And then after living in Bismarck for two years, we, lived to, we moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, lived there for two years. That's where Zeke was born. And now we've been in Urbandale for about the last six years. So that's just a little bit of a, a family journey for us. Heidi and I actually used to laugh about the fact that in our first five years of marriage, We lived in four different homes, three different states, and had two children. So we liked to keep things interesting, I think is the best way to put that for the first five years of our marriage. Um, Being from Bismarck is a fantastic segue into our topic for this morning that we're going to talk about, and that is suffering. (laughs) And I'm sure that there's a couple things that come to your mind when you think about suffering and Bismarck, North Dakota. So let's just name a couple of them, right? Um, First of all, yeah, I was surrounded by a lot of Vikings fans, which anybody knows is suffering. Uh, The winters start much earlier in Bismarck, and they last much longer than they really need to, so that's another thing. Uh, The third thing, which my wife so lovingly pointed out, is that the state capital in Bismarck kind of resembles a prison. So if you ever want to look up the state capital of North Dakota, fair warning that it, it kind of resembles a prison. And the last thing is that it is really, really cold in Bismarck. Um, Growing up in Bismarck, I was actually first introduced to the concept of caravanning. How many of you are familiar with caravanning? You've done this before when you're traveling. Um, Both my brothers played high school sports, and they were in basketball. So in the middle of winter in North Dakota, it's cold, right? And it's snowy, and it's icy, and it's not fun to travel in. And North Dakota is not the most densely populated state, if you understand what I'm saying. So If the game wasn't in Bismarck, we then had to travel at least an hour and a half to get to the next closest basketball game. 
So we would caravan. We'd take, you know, eight cars all going at the same time to make sure everybody made it safely. And um, there's one story specifically that really sticks out to me about how cold it gets in North Dakota. Because we were traveling up to a place called Belcourt. Um, Belcourt was very northern North Dakota, almost to Canada. And as we're traveling, I look out the window, and I kind of had to scrape the fog off the window and look out, and I see something in the distance. And as we get closer, I'm kind of still looking at it. And when we finally get close enough, I realize that it's a coyote, right? But the coyote's on its back, and its legs are all sticking straight up in the air, and it is frozen solid. And that's how cold it would get in North Dakota. I don't know how it happened, but it's, it just happened, Right? Now, that's, the, that's some of the suffering I experienced growing up, right? Which, let's be honest, not that bad. But we've all experienced suffering in some way or another. We've all experienced pain. We've experienced distress. We've experienced hardship. Maybe it was through a relationship. Maybe it was at a job. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was something else entirely. But what I want us to understand and really work through this morning is that while we have experienced hard things, we don't have to lose hope. Because yes, suffering is hard. You might still be going through something that's a challenging, trying time in your life. But that suffering does not have to be something that destroys us. That suffering does not have to be something that takes the wind of the Spirit out of our sails. So as we continue this morning in our series entitled Fresh Wind, where we're talking about how the Spirit breathes that fresh wind into our sails, I want to spend some time in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. If you remember last week, Mike left off in in verse 17, so we're going to keep moving forward in verse 18. So if you have a Bible, feel free to take that out. Um, If you have a phone that you have a Bible app on, please open that up. The words will also be here on the screen, or if you need a Bible, um, there's actually Bibles back on the Next Steps table. This church absolutely loves it when those Bibles disappear. So if you're in need of a Bible, please make sure that you grab one. But let's remember where Paul has brought us through until now. As Mike so eloquently reminded us last week, and I think he made up this word, we are both beloved and beliked. But it's true, we are. We are beloved and beliked. We are sons and daughters of God, the same God who created our universe by simply speaking it into existence. Through the Spirit, we are then adopted into the family of God. So now we have a father, not a master. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. And while our sin kills us, our king crowns us. Because of this, we can then choose to live a life free of fear because the wind of the Spirit is in our sails. So knowing that all of that is true, Paul then starts again in verse 18 and he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is not seen is no hope at all, because who hopes for what they already have? 
if we hope for what we do not yet have, we will wait for it patiently. So let's break this down a little bit, right? Paul makes a pretty bold statement to jump in when he's saying that our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that awaits us. Now, that, that's, that's great, Paul, but I think we can all agree that suffering's hard. Suffering is hard. The emotions that come with suffering are oftentimes overwhelming. They can be crippling. The fear, the anxiousness, the dread, the pain. So when we consider suffering, let's, I, don't downplay, Paul, the fact that we all suffered when Michael Scott left the office, right? Don't downplay the suffering that I had to deal with when I had to go gluten-free for health reasons. Yeah, I miss bread, okay? I'll name it and claim it. This suffering, however, is not limited to us just as people, right? All of creation was subjected to this bondage and decay of sin in our world. We collectively, all of us, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship to be completed. You see, Paul's point isn't to downplay suffering, okay? Paul's not saying, hey, don't, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. Paul knows firsthand how difficult suffering can be. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard in the midst of suffering to keep hope. We all see it every day. We've been surrounded by it for the last three, four years. We see the pain. We see the hurt. We see the destruction in our world. We can see creation falling apart around us. We can see the exhaustion in the eyes of people we interact with because of what we've been dealing with for the last three to four years. We very much understand how easy it is to lose hope to think that the pain will not end, that the difficulties will not end. And when we feel that way, we can feel as if we're losing the wind in our sails. But remember, we're not called to hope in what we can see because hope that is seen is no hope at all. We do not hope for what we already have. We are called to hope for what we do not yet have. And as sons and daughters of the one true king, we can wait patiently because we do know what awaits us. See, that, that, that's the key, okay? If we can look at suffering through the lens of what is promised to us as sons and daughters of God, we can view it as what it really is, temporary, as compared to the glory that we will experience for all of eternity in heaven. See, when I, when I used to think about Bismarck and think about suffering, I would think about the cold, I would think about the winters. I'd think about all that stuff. But my understanding of the word suffering changed drastically over the last five years. And that's because my brother Brent has been battling cancer for the last five years. This this all started one morning in January. See, Brent was the, the coach of a high school basketball team in Bismarck. And Brent called my dad one Tuesday morning, or no, I think it was Wednesday morning, actually, after the game on Tuesday night, and um, they're on the phone talking, and they're just talking about the game, and this was pretty commonplace for Brent to check in, talk about how frustrated he was with the basketball officials, talk about the good things, the bad things, you know, all that fun stuff, and um, while they were talking, Brent said he started to feel sick. He was feeling a little bit nauseous, and, you know, dad asked if he was okay, and Brent's like, I, I, I gotta go, I'll call you back. So 20 minutes later, um, dad's phone rings, and it's Brent. And dad's like, hey, you okay? And Brent's like, yeah, I got this, I got blood on my head and I, I got a cut and I don't know where it came from. And dad's like, well, 
you know, you said you were feeling sick. Like, did you, did you need to throw up? And then you, you hit, the t- you know, hit, hit your head on something? And Brent's like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And dad's like, well, did, did something happen at the game last night? Like, were you, did you get cut by something and maybe, you know, scratched it? And, and Brent kind of stopped. And then he, he said to dad on the phone, he's like, what, what game last night? Now, obviously, that sent up a lot of red flags, right? So dad told Brent, hey, find Amy, get yourselves to the hospital. So they get to the hospital, and they do a CAT scan, and they found a tumor right on the right side of Brent's brain, right about here. We learned later that what happened to Brent is that he actually had a seizure. So him feeling ill was this the beginning of the seizure, and then when the seizure hit, he lost consciousness, passed out, hit his head, and cut his head. So as you can imagine, when they find one tumor, they then moved to many more scans. So they did some PET scans, did everything like that. And in addition to the tumor they found in his brain, they found a tumor here in his chest and then in his right femur, right about above his knee. As you can imagine, this hit us all in a very sideways sort of way. You talk about losing hope. We were right in the middle of it. So within a week, Brent was, in Mayo, was at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And undergoing tests, and within a few days after that, Brent was having brain surgery to remove the tumor right here. And one thing you need to know about Brent is how passionate and how competitive Brent is. Because you remember I alluded to the fact that he was a high school basketball coach? Within a week of brain surgery, he was back on the sidelines coaching his team. They were playing the Bismarck High, which is one of their big rivals, so Brent shows up with kind of like a black beanie on to cover up This might be graphic, but to cover up the incision that went around here. He had a black eye from all the swelling that had been going down, but he was bound and determined to be there. He was not going to miss that game because he wanted to be there for his kids. And they won the game. And there's video of Brent afterwards actually dancing in the locker room with his team, which was not necessarily medically approved, if you understand what I'm saying, but he was that excited because he loved those kids that much. That summer then, Brent went back to Rochester to start a five-week intensive radiation treatment therapy. Um, He did the whole thing where they give you the mask that goes over your face so your your face doesn't move, and they did targeted radiation here and here, and yeah, that that five weeks was was long. I mean, he had to be there for five weeks. That's five weeks away from his three kids. Um, That's five weeks away from home, but he did it, and he got done, and they did a PET scan again, and this wasn't showing any activity. This wasn't showing any activity. This one was showing like it was slowing down, and we were excited. We were hopeful. Well, if, if you've ever walked through anybody on a journey of cancer, you know that life is kind of lived in three-month increments because that's how often they do PET scans. So while we were excited, we were also a little bit nervous because we needed to wait till that next PET scan could really tell the story. So Brent went into the hospital in Bismarck and did a PET scan, and um, I think a few days later, we got a call from a doctor in Bismarck, and they said, hey, it looks good. He said, we're not showing any activity. Everything looks great. And uh, <laughs> Brent texts us all to tell us this, because he didn't like us coming up there all the time. So he, he texts us this, right? And he proceeds to tell us that it looks good. And we all text him back, congratulations. You know, I think I text him back that Conor McGregor meme where he's kind of strutting through the octagon, you know, because we were all excited that he beat it. And Brent was the one to say... All right, hey, let's, let's hold on a second. Let's make sure we hear first from Mayo before we start celebrating. And that, came from, that call came from Mayo about a day and a half later. 
and unfortunately it wasn't the news we were looking for. They weren't exactly sure what the hospital in Bismarck was looking at, but the tumors did in fact show activity. The tumor in his chest had increased in size. He now had additional tumors in his pelvis and along his spine. And to say that we were devastated would be an understatement. To say that the wind was taken out of our sails would very aptly define how we were feeling. We were crushed. And so over the next four years, chemo bought time. And it bought more time and it bought more time. And we kept hoping that they were going to find some chemo drug that would fix this. That he would be able to get into a clinical trial. And every time he applied for a clinical trial, it looked promising. And then all of a sudden, right at the end, they shut the door because there was something with the tumors or something else that would cause him to be not admitted to the clinical trial. So at that point in time, we kept praying and kept praying and kept praying. God, heal him. But unfortunately, that miracle never came. We actually lost Brent this last October 13th. I share this with you today, not because of what happened to Brent physically, but instead I want you to really, really hear what happened in Brent's life spiritually. See, Brent suffered. He did. The, the pain the distress, the hardship he dealt with daily during those five years was so, so incredibly hard to watch. We watched his body slowly deteriorate. We watched him no longer be able to get up the stairs to his house because his legs hurt too much. We watched his legs begin to swell. We watched the pain in his eyes as he would sit in his chair in the living room and look out the window and see his three beautiful children playing because he knew he couldn't physically get out there. We watched him finally agree to use a wheelchair right at the end because Brent was too proud to use a wheelchair, but by the end of it, he couldn't even make it from the parking lot of the hospital into the, the hospital itself, which was about a block and a half away without being totally exhausted. But we also watched how he grew spiritually in those five years. We watched how he trusted that this was the path that God had chosen for him. We watched as every step of the way he trusted that God was right there next to him, showing him the next step and the next step and the next step that he needed to take. We watched as he was able to share his story with so many people. See, as North Dakota is not very big and not very populated, um, there's not a lot of news in North Dakota, but anytime you have a situation where you have a high school basketball coach who's coaching less than a week after having brain surgery, it becomes big news, right? So the TV stations of Bismarck picked up on it, then all the TV stations around the state started running his story, and Brent was given an opportunity to share his journey through meeting with teams after games, through seminars, through news interviews, through radio interviews, through all of that stuff. Brent was given a platform on which he could share his story. And Brent knew that while he had that platform, he had to share what it was that was getting him through this. So every time he was on that platform, he pointed straight back to God. And he said, hey, don't look at me as if I'm some hero. Don't look at me as if I'm some amazing person who's incredibly strong. 
The only way I'm doing this is because of my hope and trust in God, because without him, this would simply be unbearable. Brent knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was a beloved child of God, and it was in that hope that he could navigate this journey in a way that allowed him to show that the light that was in him was brighter than any light that was ever shined upon him. Brent knew who he was. He knew whose he was. So he had no reason to question where he would be when his time on earth came to an end. So to put this in perspective, as a family, we were all able to spend time together right before Brent passed. And I got off a plane, I think at 4.30, um, got to the hospital 4.45, and, and I walked in, and there's Brent sitting in a chair. And walked up, hugged him. You know, we, we talked, we cried, we laughed. We did all of the important stuff. And then he stopped and looked me dead in the eye, and he said, hey, I need to get you access to my fantasy football team. To put this in perspective, Brent had, he, he was the three-time defending champion of his fantasy football league, right? So this was a big deal. And um, we spent the next five, ten minutes getting me access to his fantasy football team. So we, we get in, and I'm looking at it, and he kind of taps me on the arm. He says, hey, I'm undefeated right now. He says, my team is loaded. Don't mess it up. And I'm very, very proud to report that I lost that next game. But see, don't lose sight of this. Even when Brent was firmly in the midst of his suffering, because I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, he was in so much pain that night before. He knew, he knew that he was coming right up to the end. But in the midst of that pain, he could have a lighthearted conversation about fantasy football because he knew exactly where his hope and his trust was found. See, Brent wasn't afraid. He wasn't dwelling in the difficulties. He was able to be 100% present with us as we spent time together as a family because he knew exactly what was waiting for him on the other side. He would often talk about the things that were taken from him. But the one thing that he would also mention that could never be taken from him was his hope and his trust in God. He pointed time and time again to the comfort that gave him and how it gave him the endurance he needed to keep walking that path. See, Brent understood that his present suffering was nothing compared to what God had promised to him and to each and every one of us. Brent chose to live his life in the hope of what he did not yet have, instead of choosing to live in the frustration and uncertainty of the situation that he was faced with. My friends, we can all share in that same hope. That hope is right there for all of you, and don't feel for a second like Brent was a perfect person and he was a perfect Christian and that allowed him the strength to do this, because he wasn't. That same hope that he clung to is available for each and every single one of us. We can stand strong in the midst of suffering because we know, we know that we are beloved sons and daughters of the one true king. So when suffering hits, and it will, it just will, 
It might still be hitting right now, to be honest with you. Cling to the hope that God gives us and let the fresh wind of the Spirit fill your sails because there is nothing else that will sustain you the way that will. Please pray with me. So, Father, we come before you today and we admit and we own that suffering is hard. We admit that there's times that we don't know how we can make it through. But, Father, it is only through you that we have a path forward because, Father, suffering will hit. And when it does, you provide us the hope and the strength and the courage we need to walk that journey because we know that you are right there with us every step of the way. So, Father, help fill our sails when we, flail, when we feel deflated. So, Father, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.